listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture for today is Song of Songs 7, 6 through 13. How fair and pleasant you are, O loved one, delectable maiden. You are stately as a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I said I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its branches. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your kisses like the best wine. Flowing smoothly for my love, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let's go out early to the vineyards and see where the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and over our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, Oh, my beloved, the word of God for the, the people, people of God. God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, you guys. Let's hear it for Carrie and Thomas. You made it through it without laughing. Good job. Good job. That's awesome. That is awesome. We've got some brave lay readers in this church. I'll tell you what. So after last week's sermon, uh, and in the midst of a snowstorm, you all came back. Which, which, is, which, is, which is nice, that's good, that's good. Um, for a few weeks now, we've been in the Song of Songs, uh, this collection of ancient erotic love poetry that we find right smack dab in the middle of our Bibles. Uh, and we've definitely waded into some racy territory along the way. Um, this should be the last week for that, by the way. Um, if, and in fact, I would say today is a bit tame compared to last Sunday, so if you were okay last Sunday, you should be good today. Um, I do want to hype this event that we have happening this Tuesday at 6.30. Um, it's called Seeking Safety. We've got, a, we've got a slide with info on it. If we can go to the next slide. There we go. Perfect. Seeking Safety. Uh, this is a totally free event here at the church. We are going to have some experts on hand from Agape Counseling um, who specialize in working with victims of sexual trauma and relational trauma. Um, and uh, it's going to be a, a really informative event, learning about what is the nature of trauma, how can we best serve and get help to victims of trauma, and what does the process of hope and healing look like. Uh, it's going to be a really good event this Tuesday at 6.30 here at church. I hope to see you there. So last week, uh, we talked about sex and the self. And uh, we started to trace out what it might look like to form a better sex ethic based on Song of Songs. For today, though, I want to talk about intimacy. As we move to think about relationships uh, between two people, um, not just romantic ones, there's all sorts of relationships where intimacy factors in, um, I want to talk about the theme of intimacy. Intimacy, as I understand it, is the experience of knowing and being known. That drive for connection, our yearning to be close to another person, to know them fully and for them to know us in return. We experience intimacy across um, all sorts of relationships. Uh, it's not just a romance thing, there's intimacy between friends, uh, there's intimacy between a parent and a child, a doctor and a patient, 
uh, pastor and congregant, a lot of contexts where we encounter intimate connections and relationships. And even in the context of romantic love, intimacy is about way more than sex. Spouses get to know each other on that deeper level. You start to learn how the other person thinks, how they operate, how they move in the world for good and for bad. When people are together long enough, you get to the point where you can finish each other's... I was looking for sandwiches, but sentences, <laughs> sentences work. Sandwiches, uh, sentences is good. No, you get to the point where you can finish each other's sentences, right? Even in our reading today, there's that moment where the, the woman finishes the sentence of, of the man. It's, it's amazing. We all need intimacy to survive. It's a, it's a basic human need. And it's a need that has probably been, never been felt more acutely than it is today. We're in the midst of an intimacy crisis in our culture. There is a profound lack of intimacy, a sense of disconnection that is affecting almost all of our relationships. You see it in marriages, um, the way many couples grow apart over time. We're at a point now, uh, in, in America at least, where if you're over the age of 50, you are more likely to be divorced than widowed. That's, that's quite a shift. Um, they call it gray divorce, this trend of more and more people splitting up later in life. The divorce rate for couples over the age of 50 has doubled since 1990. So this is a relatively recent development. Um, <clears throat> and one of the first signs that a marriage is in trouble is a lack of intimacy. The sex stops. You stop holding hands together. You stop going on dates, spending quality time. Um, you put up a wall and start to block the other person out. Before you know it, the intimacy is gone, and you don't even know the person you're married to anymore. And it's not just older adults. We're seeing this affect younger and younger generations um, as well. I mentioned last week uh, that there's this article I came across from the BBC talking about this study that found an alarming rate of millennials in sexless marriages. Researchers define any marriage where the couple has sex less than 10 times a year as a sexless marriage, and millennials, these people in their late 20s through early 40s, are reporting higher levels of sexless marriages than any previous generation in that age range. That means that millennials, my generation, we're having sex less than our parents and grandparents did at our age. Uh, a 2021 survey from the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University found that 25.8% of millennials, just over a quarter of millennials, report feeling sexually dissatisfied. That, by the way, higher than any other generation. A quarter, sexually dissatisfied. And we're starting to see intimacy problems in younger and younger generations as well. Uh, Gen Z is in trouble, you guys. Our teenagers and early 20-somethings are in the midst of an absolute relational crisis, and it's on account of these things. Our cell phones, our technology. There was a time when parents would worry about our kids like doing drugs and getting pregnant, right? Like that was, that was the big worry when I was a kid, you know, back in the 90s, you know, last century. Today though, among young people, drug use and pregnancy rates are near all-time lows which sounds like great news until you realize that one of the major factors behind that is that our kids aren't hanging out with people anymore. They're not getting tr in trouble with their friends. They're not doing anything with their friends. 
Our teenagers, our, our young people, are in dorm rooms or in their room alone on these things, disconnected. We're seeing depression rates skyrocket among teens. Suicide rates are up. My daughter is only seven years old. She's already begging us for a cell phone. That scares the hell out of me. The technology we made to bring us together is tearing us apart. It's cutting us off from actual meaningful physical relationships and connection. And over the last three years, it seems like everybody, everybody I've met has someone in their life, at least one person, who's like gone off the deep end in isolation, especially like through COVID and everything. We all know someone, whether it's a, a relative or a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, who got isolated, retreated into like a, a bubble of, of chat rooms and social media, gone down all sorts of rabbit holes with conspiracy theories, you name it, and as a result, severed real meaningful relationships in their lives. We've gotta address this intimacy crisis. We've gotta recover our intimacy. We have to reestablish our sense of connection in romantic relationships and all other relationships. Now, I did discover this week that trying to talk about intimacy in a single sermon is impossible. I should have seen that coming. Um, <laughs> I am a millennial, though, so I can blame that. It's just too much to cover, though. It's too much to cover. Um, we could talk about trust, commitment, physical proximity. We could talk about how intimacy changes in a relationship over time. Um, the importance for couples to build a bond of intimacy that's more than just physical. We could do an eight-week series on this topic and still only scratch the surface. I'm gonna try to hit it in one sermon, though. Um, and to help us kind of focus, I wanna focus on two major themes. I wanna highlight two big ideas that I think are on display in Song of Songs related to intimacy. Communication and mutuality. Communication and mutuality. Let's start with communication. Probably the biggest change technology has made to our lives over the last 10 years has to do with how we communicate with each other. Um, we have sacrificed deep, meaningful communication and connection with a few people, usually one at a time, for widespread, shallow, constant connection and communication with everyone. One of the best steps I think you can take if you crave intimacy, if you want deeper intimacy in your life, is to limit your time on technology. Limit your screen time, set some boundaries. Um, spend time with people in your life without the screens. Personally, I'm working toward one hour a day and one day a week, screen-free. That's my goal. I'm not there yet. That's, like, that's what I'm shooting for. Um, I don't know if I'm ever really gonna reach the point of having an entire day with no screens, which like hurts to say. Um, but I'm, I'm making progress on the one hour a day. I've been taking that one hour a day, whether it's right after I come home from work or after dinner, and trying to just get rid of the cell phone and be present with my kids. Because, I don't know about you, but I'm really getting sick of feeling disconnected from life and from everyone. There's nothing worse than walking into a room and seeing everyone on a screen. We've got to start communicating better. We've got to connect on a deeper level without the screens if we want intimacy, and this is especially true in marriage. 
Most marriage problems come down to a lack of communication. Uh, If you're not talking to your spouse about money, if you're not talking about your feelings, if you're not planning for the future, um, if you're not communicating at all, that is a sure sign of trouble. If you're married or in any sort of committed relationship, set aside time to be with your partner without the phones. Go on dates. Spend time together. Talk about stuff. And in romantic relationships, in marriage especially, and we are in Song of Songs, having conversations, talking to each other, has to include talking about sex with your partner. It's amazing how many people who have sex don't talk about it, right? Like we share the most intimate connection possible with another person, but talking about it, discussing it is, is, like, is like off limits. It just seems odd to me. The lovers in Song of Songs talk about sex a lot. Their sexuality isn't just physical or visual, it's verbal. You've gotta normalize talking about sex with your partner. Um, I heard an interview, maybe a month ago now, uh, with a radio host named Dan Savage. Has anyone heard of Dan Savage? I've got his, his picture up here. Um, some of us know him. He hosts the Savage Lovecast. It's one of the most listened to uh, relationship and sex talk shows uh, in the country. Um, it's one of those shows where people call in with questions about you know, love and relationships, that sort of thing. Um, and what makes his show unique is um, Dan Savage is a gay man, but most of the people who call into his show are straight. And um, I don't subscribe to, to all of his views. I think there's definitely times when he wades into the kind of everything goes sex ethic that I was critical of last week. But he said something in this interview that really caught my attention. Dan Savage said that gay people tend to have better sex than straight people, which is a provocative claim. Gay people have better sex than straight people. Right away, I'm like, that can't be true, can it? Like, there's got to be, there's got to be just as many sexually dysfunctional gay folks as straight folks. Like, how, how can this be? But he clarified his point, and what he said rang incredibly true to me. Dan Savage said that gay sex requires communication. There's less that's assumed. You have to talk going into it. He's been married to his husband for over 10 years now, and he said every time they are intimate together, it starts with a conversation. What are we up for tonight? What are we coming in with? What worked last time? What, what, do we, what are we looking for this time? By contrast, Dan Savage said that most straight couples he's worked with never talk about sex. Just never comes up. They had maybe one conversation when they were dating or on their wedding night. And since then, it's just assumed that it's the same. The woman does her part, the man does his part. A couple minutes later, you're done. Right? Like that's, that's the assumption. But what if we actually talked about sex with our partners? What if every sexual encounter began with a conversation where we really listened and spoke to each other? What are we up for tonight? What emotions are we working through? What worked last time? What didn't? What are we bringing into this sacred space that needs to be checked or talked about? That's intimacy, you guys. That's healthy. 
We have to normalize talking about sex with our partners, keeping that line of communication open. If we're not talking about this stuff, if we're not listening to our partners, if we're not communicating what we need, listening to them tell us about what they need, don't be surprised when the intimacy disappears. Intimacy requires communication. But intimacy also requires mutuality. There has to be a partnership, a give or take with no sense of exploitation or manipulation or dominance. Both partners need to be on equal footing in a relationship for the intimacy to be maintained. I firmly believe that. There can be times in some relationships when an imbalance of power is normal or even healthy. Um, If we're talking about parent and child, for example, there's a clear differentiation there. Uh, at least when the kids are little. Um, if we're talking about doctor and patient, you, you better believe if I'm having a life-saving surgery, I'm not going to be, you know, critiquing the doctor's form in the middle of it. <laughs> like, I'm going to be passed out on the table trusting in the doctor's expertise. That's a healthy imbalance of power. And the same sort of thing can happen in romantic relationships. There might come a point where one person has to take the lead in a given area and the other person has to follow. This can happen when one partner becomes caretaker of the other. Um, It can happen if there's a skill or a setting where one partner excels and the other doesn't. Um, This happens whenever Erin and I travel anywhere. Uh, Travel is her passion while I'm just along for the ride. So like when we're planning trips, Erin books the flights, she figures out where we're gonna stay, she sets the agenda, and I humbly submit to her authority and leadership there. And it's usually a great time. That's an imbalance of power, but it's mutual. We're on the same page, even though our roles are different. But there can also be unhealthy imbalances of power in relationships, where one partner starts to dominate or control the other. If one person is always making the decisions, always having their way, always taking their lead, while the other person just follows along and submits, That's not healthy. That's not mutual. Sometimes we're just not on the same page with our partner. We're just not lining up for whatever reason. Um, In heterosexual relationships, this often takes like a gendered sort of effect. You know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, that sort of thing. Um, But even in same-sex relationships, any relationships, there can be seasons where you are just out of sync with the other person. You're not lining up for whatever reason. In really extreme cases, this can turn into abuse, manipulation, control. And even in the less extreme forms, if mutuality isn't restored, if you don't find a way to get back on the same page through communication, trust, mutuality, the intimacy is going to be lost and the relationship will end. Throughout this series, uh, we've been reading Song of Songs through the book of Genesis. And Adam and Eve... We've been using them as a sort of parallel for these two lovers in a garden. And the Adam and Eve story, at its heart, is about the breakdown of intimacy in a relationship. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were united as partners, as equals. When we first meet the couple, their relationship is is marked by equality and mutuality. They're both made in God's image. They're both called to love each other, and to support each other in the work of cultivating the garden. 
But sin enters the picture, and that perfect bond is ripped apart. It starts with Adam throwing Eve under the bus and blaming her for eating the apple, right? It was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate. And then God confronts Adam and Eve and lays out punishments in the form of curses. You guys know this story? Are we familiar with Genesis? Yeah. The serpent is cursed to slither along the ground on its belly. Adam is cursed to have to work the land with hard labor to produce food. Eve is cursed with pain in childbirth. Clearly, these are archetypical uh, images we're giving. The storyteller is trying to explain to us why our lives are so hard, why it feels so broken. And one of the curses strikes Adam and Eve's relationship as well. We get this line in Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. It hurts to read that. It hurts because I know some Christians have taken this as a command. This line has been used for centuries to justify um, the abuse and mistreatment, domination of women by men, as if it's part of God's plan. But hear me on this, dominance and abuse was never part of God's plan. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is where context is so important. In the context of this story, this is not a command, okay? God is not saying, I command you, Adam, to dominate your partner. That's not what's going on here. This is a curse. This is an explanation for our broken state of existence, how that loving relationship between Adam and Eve fell apart, how it was twisted by sin. God's plan for intimate relationships was that they'd be loving, equal, and mutual. And this is where Song of Songs offers a word of hope. There's a word in this Genesis verse I want to highlight. It's the word desire. Turns out this is a really rare Hebrew word for desire. I learned this week that the Hebrew language has a number of different words for desiring something, wanting something, yearning, longing. I guess we have a lot of words for it too. But this is the rarest one. This word only occurs three times in the entire Bible. That's it. We get it here in Genesis 3 with the breakdown of Adam and Eve's relationship. It pops up again in the very next chapter, Genesis 4, uh, with the breakdown of Cain and Abel's relationship, that, that other intimate relationship between brothers. And there's only one other place in the entire Bible that we find this word for desire. Does anyone want to guess? Anyone want to guess what book of the Old Testament talks about desire? Not Ecclesiastes. What would you say, James? Song of Songs. Yes! In our reading for today, actually. Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10. Go to the next slide. Thank you. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Desire there is the exact same word in the curse in Genesis 3. Only places in the entire Bible we get that word. The reference is subtle. Like blink and you might miss it. 
But there is a long interpretive tradition that argues that this verse is the crux of Song of Songs. This is the core of the entire book. Because remember the curse. Your desire will be for your partner, but they will rule over you. Those words have hung over every human relationship since the fall. But in response, the woman in Song of Songs declares, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. It's almost a protest anthem, you guys. It's a radical realignment back to God's original intention for these relationships, for mutuality. It's almost as if their love has reversed the curse. By giving themselves to each other, by establishing trust, allowing themselves to know and be fully known, the curse has been lifted. Eden is restored through intimacy. Intimacy can reverse the curse. That's the power of intimacy. When we open ourselves to another, when we become vulnerable, allow ourselves to be known, that connection can undo this curse. You could argue that God follows the lead of the lovers in Song of Songs when God establishes connection with us. In an act of radical intimacy, God took on flesh and dwelled among us as a human being, as an equal. In Jesus, God enters into our space, our existence, our life, in order to know us and be fully known by us. And out of love, God takes on the cross, laying down his own life to set us free from the power of death and undo the curse. That's the power of intimacy. We are our beloveds. We belong to God. And God's desire is for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of intimacy. Thank you for not leaving us alone, isolated in our sin, but for coming to the rescue and establishing closeness with us. We ask that you would bless our intimate relationships, Lord. Heal them and strengthen them as you heal us. And God, help us to reverse the curse in our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.